Gathered here on Easter Sunday morning, I imagine some of you wondered if I could get up here to preach after the Crescent City Classic yesterday. I know some of you were surprised I made it all the way through that 10K and was not carried for any part of it, okay? Now, I know I look pitiful in the picture, all right? I think that's one of the most pitiful pictures I've ever seen of me. But I was feeling pretty pitiful at the end. But it was a great time, wonderful run. I realized as we lined up that I was actually behind the people pushing babies. And, and people in wheelchairs and folks on crutches were in front of me. And so I tried to fix that while I went through. But some of those mothers with carriages still beat me. They went faster than I could. It was a, a wonderful day and a great opportunity to just be with friends and family, and we had a great time. I know that you're enjoying your Easter. Maybe you've got family in as well. You're looking forward to a meal, and maybe you're hunting Easter eggs this afternoon. I think we may do that with some of the children. There are a lot of things that are part of the Easter weekend, and they're all uh, lots of fun. But what we're doing today is we're focusing on the truth that makes Easter. This is what Easter is really all about. Young people, children, adults, this is it. It's the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Maybe you've never been in a room full of skeptics or atheists who are incredulous that you actually believe that a dead man rose from the dead. That happened to me. I've been in such a context where they said, you really believe this? And I said, yes, I really believe that Jesus of Nazareth died as dead as he could be, and he came out of that tomb alive on Sunday morning. I believe it. And what I want to do this morning is to point to a message that Peter, the one who denied the Lord, preached in Jerusalem in the colonnade of Solomon to a group of people who ran to see what was going on. It's in Acts chapter 3. John and Peter, here fresh from the day of Pentecost, just days past the resurrection, are going into the temple area at the gate called Beautiful, and here's a lame man who is carried here every morning to beg. And he turns to them, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter says, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And he reaches down, he takes the man's hand, and he pulls him up. His ankle bones are strengthened. The man begins to walk. Everybody's amazed, especially this man. And he goes into the temple courts, walking and leaping and praising God. We pick up with verse 11 of chapter 3 of the book of Acts. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
the God of our fathers has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. The story of the lame man that stirred such a controversy in Jerusalem, the city of the great king, a religious city, a city full of folks who believed in God, but who disowned Jesus, according to the statement by Peter in his sermon. You disowned the holy and righteous one. So I'm saying to you on this Easter Sunday morning, own him. It's the third day. Own him. When Peter says, you disowned, I know he was feeling a prick in his own heart. Because it's the same word used to describe what Peter did the night in which Jesus was betrayed. You remember how they said, oh, you must be one of those Galileans. He said, no. Say, I saw you with them. He says, no. He said, you're one of those followers too. And he cursed and said, I don't know the man. That was Peter's denial. Jesus predicted it would happen before the rooster crows. He says, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said, no, I'll never deny you. I'll never deny you. But he did, the night in which Jesus was betrayed. Now he speaks to his countrymen. He addresses them as fellow Israelites. He wants them to understand, we stand together with you. We are the physical children of Abraham. And he says to them, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified Jesus. The sad truth is, they don't want to own him. They don't. They don't want to own him. The scripture says, in fact, he came into the world that he made, and the world did not know him. He came to the people who were his own, and his own did not receive him. That's just the truth about Jesus. It's the truth about his birth. That's why the iconic symbol of the nativity is this baby laying in a cattle trough. Why is he in a cattle trough? Because there was no room in the inn. That's why. There never was any room for this baby. Not in the inn, not in the life of his people, not in the nation of Israel. They hung him up to die. No room. They disowned him, just like Peter did the night in which he was betrayed. So I'm challenging you to own him. It's the third day. What Easter means to me 
is that I identify with Jesus. By owning him, I mean you confess him as Savior of, of your life and Savior of the world. By own him, I mean that you make it personal. He is my personal Lord and Savior. That it's personal to you. It's not a generic statement. You are owning him personally. Peter denied him personally. Okay? He rejected any knowledge of Christ personally. He knew it was personal because Jesus caught his eye across that fire in the courtyard. In that moment, he made eye contact with Peter and it broke Peter's heart and Peter knew he had denied him personally, individually. So I'm saying own him. Own him as Savior and Son of God. Own him as your own personal Lord and Savior. Own him publicly. See, Peter understands this, and so do all these fellow Israelites with whom he is speaking. They have come together in Solomon's porch because this amazing thing has occurred. Peter breaks out in a sermon. It's a spontaneous sermon. He goes right to the question of denying the Lord Jesus or owning him. And he challenges them that they disowned the Holy One. They disowned him before Pilate. They did so publicly. They did so in a crowd. They cried out, crucify him, crucify him. We want Barabbas, the murderer, not Jesus, the preacher who says he is the Son of God. We want Barabbas. You chose the murderer over Jesus, Peter says to the crowd. You know what we're talking about when we talk about owning him publicly, okay? You may have a family gathering today, and there may be a discussion around the table about believing in Jesus, and do you believe in the resurrection? And owning him would be for you at the table in public to say, you know, I believe Jesus is the Son of God and Savior of the world. He is my personal Lord and Savior, and to say it publicly. Sometimes we assume people understand that. No. If people actually understood that you believe a dead man rose from the dead, they'd be grabbing you by the shoulders and saying, what? What is this you believe? You don't believe it was just a spiritual resurrection? You believe the body was gone? That God raised a dead man from the grave? We got to convey that. We got to use words. We need to do it publicly. You may work in a place. I did once, where it was difficult to own Jesus as Savior. One of the men in that room gave me a gift on Easter, a picture of a rabbit crucified on a cross. He thought it was funny. But that's what owning him is all about. It's you personally identifying with Jesus in this world, in your work, in your school, in your family. You don't have to be obnoxious about it, but you certainly have the right to confess, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'm going to deny you before my Father who is in heaven. John later says, who is a liar? The liar is the one that denies that Jesus 
is the Christ. Easter to me is owning this truth, owning it personally. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin and rose again from the dead. Own it. It's the third day. Say, it's not like the day of crucifixion. That would have been the first day. On that day, Judas ran from the upper room and went and betrayed Jesus. On that day, Mark, the author of the second gospel, ran from the arrest like he was going to be killed. On that day, Peter left the courtyard denying Jesus and weeping. On that day, the scripture says, everyone forsook him and fled. But it's not, it's not that day. It's not the second day when he's laying in that tomb, dead and cold and silent. And the disciples are hidden in the upper room wondering what's going on. Maybe it's hard to own him on the first day or on the second day. But he said, on the third day, the Son of Man will be raised from the dead. And it's the third day. Amen. And you can own him today because the tomb is empty. Amen? And you can own him today. Yes, it's tough on the first day. It's tough on the second day. But it's the third day. So own him as your own. If you've got borrowed faith, make it personal. If you're just following in your parents' footsteps, it's time to claim it as your own. Okay, this is what I believe. This is the one in whom I trust. This is my confession. Jesus Christ is Lord. Second thing I'd say to you on Easter, trust him. It's the third day. Maybe on the first day it's hard. You're confused. You don't understand. What does this death on a cross mean? We thought he was going to lead Israel. We thought he was going to deliver us, and now... He's dead. It's tough on the second day to trust him. What does that mean now that he's dead, that he's laying in the grave? But it's the third day. You can trust him on the third day because the tomb is open and Jesus is alive. Now, they are very specific about the kind of faith they are calling for the crowd to have. The question is, why is this man walking? He's been here for years and he never walked a step and now he's walking. What happened? It is by the name of Jesus and the power in his name that this man stands before you completely whole. That's what Peter and John said. It's faith, listen, in Jesus it's Jesus. Maybe you're looking for some way to make that a little more comfortable, a little more generic, so that people don't jump on you too much when you say you believe in Jesus. But it's always been controversial to believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord. It's always been controversial. It was controversial in Jerusalem on this day. What these religious rulers actually don't want is people believing in Jesus. They all believe in God. Believing in God is good. There's no problem believing in God. Most Americans, the vast majority, believe in God. 
You're not going to get any trouble if you get out there and say, well, I believe in God. I believe there's a God. Hey, most people are going to agree with you out there. But if you say, I believe that Jesus died and rose from again from the dead and I have placed my faith in him, that's not politically correct. It wasn't back in the day of Peter and John. It got him in trouble here. These religious leaders are okay, even with this guy being healed, as long as the disciples do not teach and speak anymore in the name of Jesus. They threaten them, and they say, look, do what you want, just don't, just don't use the name anymore. Okay, leave the name out. No more Jesus in your speaking and your preaching. And Peter says to them, well... You judge for yourselves whether we ought to obey God or men. We cannot help but speak the things that we have seen and heard. We are witnesses. You killed him. God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. That's what we're doing here. We are witnesses that Jesus rose again from the dead. It is very specific, this faith that we have. Peter later on says to the, to the leaders of Israel, there is no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other name. I'm saying, own him. It's the third day. I'm saying, trust him. It's the third day. Peter will write later to a group of people like us who believe in Jesus, who are Jesus' people, and he says to them, through Jesus, we believe in God who raised him from the dead. You say, Crosby, why do you believe in God? Because of Jesus. I mean, creation astonishes me. I love butterflies and birds. Most people who know me know that. I enjoy being outside. God speaks to me and all the wonder he has made. It's really true. But you know what? My eyes, my soul, my heart, my spirit have been baptized in Jesus as Savior and Lord. And I see the whole world through these glasses, through this wonderful perspective of a God who loves us so much to send his own son to rescue us. That's how I see the world. And so I believe in God through Jesus, you see? It's Jesus who convinced me. It's Jesus who drew me. It's Jesus who taught me that God is not a distant reality, but a Father in heaven who loves me. I have learned in the teaching and work of Jesus who God is it's very specific now. The world wants it to be more generic. Believe in God. Believe in the great spirit. It's very specific. We are Jesus people. We trust in Jesus. God sent him to save us and raised him from the dead. Own him. It's the third day. Trust him. You can trust him. It's the third day. 
He said, I'm going to suffer and die. Peter said, no way. Peter couldn't even hear after that and the third day be raised from the dead. They couldn't even process that. On the third day now, you can trust whatever he said because he said he would be raised on the third day and sure enough, the grave is empty. Trust him. It's the third day. Come running. Come running to him. It's the third day. When that man received strength in his legs, he jumped up, and the scripture says he went walking and leaping and praising God into the temple. When Peter began to talk about what was happening and the crowd began to hear that this man, this lame man who was well-known among them all was walking, they came running. They came running. They wanted to see what was going on. Isn't running exhilarating? Since my mother broke her pelvis when she was 79, she's missed running. She told me when she was 79, she'd break out in a run while she was out in the yard. My mother, 79, why would you do that? Because it gets the heart beating. It picks up the energy. I was running along. I assume I was running. Sometimes I walked. Esplanade Avenue yesterday. Okay? I'm going along, and the rain is kind of peppering down a little bit. You know, it's not bad. It's good. And here's a guy parked in the neutral ground in Esplanade Avenue in front of an old beat-up upright piano, and he's looking at the runners as they go by. And when I go by, he's playing Chariots of Fire. And I felt this surge in me, and I thought, man, I want to sprint. Only my thoughts got there, but I really did want to sprint. I really did want to sprint. I was thinking I was going to have to crawl at that point, but I was okay. But it fired me up, man. Steve Watts told me when he passed the piano, he was playing uh, Running on Empty. And so I think, hey, maybe I inspired the piano player, you know? And look at me and start playing Chair's Fire. Look at Steve, start playing Run on Empty. <laughs> Anybody saw the picture of me knows I was running on empty. <laughs> I mean, it's exhilarating to run. You know, people ran to Jesus all the time. The rich guy who had that authority in Israel, he came running to Jesus. The scripture says he ran to him. He threw himself down at his feet, knelt before him, said, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looked at this guy, breathless from his run, and he, and he loved him. And he challenged him to trust in him completely. He did. Jesus went across the lake, and the crowd said, Where's he gone? Say so he's gone the other side. The scripture says they ran a mass run like the Crescent City Classic all around the, the, Gal the Sea of Galilee to get over there where Jesus was. That's when the 5,000 were fed. They went running around the lake to see Jesus. Zacchaeus heard Jesus was coming, and he ran. He ran to the tree. He climbed up in the tree. He wanted to see Jesus. People were running to Jesus. They were. Some did run away. There are those that ran away. They rejected him. His saying was too hard. They couldn't accept the fact that he himself was the bread of life, that he himself was the living water. They just, they just couldn't believe it. They wouldn't believe it. 
I think they held on to their own righteousness too much. They wanted to make it themselves, to do it themselves. They wanted to be fit for heaven on their own. They wanted to follow their own path, make their own way. And Jesus was saying, I am the way. I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. He said that. That's John 14, 6. I'm the way. And people who want to make their own way, carve their own plan, kind of create their own religion, you know, everybody's faith is, is different. And I got mine, a little mix of this, a little mix of that. What I'm standing here to say on Easter, we confess God broke into human history. God broke in. We were milling around like a bunch of ants not knowing where to go. God broke in to human history and said, here is the way. Walk in it. God promised he was going to send a prophet like Moses. You're going to listen to him. He promised he was going to send a king like David who would sit on the throne, and this is David's son. Listen to him. He promised he was going to send the son of man who would bring glory to Israel. He promised he was going to send his servant who would suffer for the sins of men. And Jesus was the fulfillment of all that promise that God had been creating and explaining through all those centuries. This is the way. I'm not telling you today, seek the way. The way itself has come to you. Rise and walk. Come running. The women went to the tomb early in the morning. They didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. Instead, a figure in shining apparel said to them, He's not here, He's risen. Go tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and he will go before them into Galilee. I want to tell you, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and he will go before you. You won't ever take a step again that he's not already been there. There's not a valley coming up in your life that he won't walk through first. Every dismal, difficult, dark place you ever visit in your life, Jesus Christ is there. He will never, ever leave or forsake. He is risen from the dead, and he will go before you. This is his promise. You can trust him. Peter and John heard the report of the women. The women came running to them and said, Their grave is empty. And a figure there said, He is risen. And... Peter takes off to go to the tomb. He is running. He wants to see what's going on, like the people in Solomon's porch. John is faster. It's a foot race. John records it. I think he brags a little. He says he outran Peter. He got to the tomb first. They're both breathless. They get to the tomb. He looks in. He sees the linen. He sees the napkin. He reports all these things and writes them down. And then Peter comes and just right in. He may be slower, but he's braver. They just had to see it. They had to see it. The Apostle Paul says more than 500 people saw the risen Christ. Did you know that? It's in one of the earliest letters that he wrote in 1 Corinthians. It's chapter 15. He was seen by more than 500 people at once. 
And he says, some of those have died, but some of them are still alive. You could go talk to them if you want to. They saw the risen Christ, just like Paul saw the risen Christ on the Damascus Road. And Peter saw the risen Christ, and John saw the risen Christ. That's why they're saying in this passage, you had him killed, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses. We have seen him. We have seen him. We have seen him. And on the first sermon, Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people in Jerusalem that day believed in a crucified and risen Savior and were baptized. And after this incident with this lame man, it's now 5,000 men in Jerusalem who have believed in Jesus, crucified, dead, buried, and risen again. And then the scripture says God was adding to this group of people daily those who were being rescued from their sin, who were trusting in Jesus. And then it says the number of the disciples was multiplied until it became such a movement among people on the earth that God used this movement to go around the globe. By the year 350, Christianity is declared the official religion of the Roman Empire. How does that happen? If Jesus is dead, why would Peter and John ever change their minds? Why would they ever get fired up like this? Something happened. And Peter, John, and Je they all say, He is risen. The grave was empty. Dead men don't rise. I know. I know, it's incredible, it's unbelievable. And everywhere you preach this, among human beings, there are some to say, dead men don't rise, what a joke. You fools. And it's true. Some people think us fools. And if he's still dead, then you're looking at the biggest fool on the planet. Okay? I know there's some folks don't believe this. Even back then, in the first century, when you could, if you wanted to, go to the garden tomb and see where he was laying and see that it was empty, still wouldn't believe. Even if 500 people said, no, we saw him. Don't believe it. You have as much ability to believe in the resurrection of Jesus as anybody who's lived on this planet including the people of the first century. You have the eyewitness accounts of fishermen who had no axe to grind, no money to make, only death to face, who said, he is alive. And you can kill me if you want to, but I know what I saw. I tell you what, there's no news better than this. You've never heard news better than this. You worry about dying. In some ways, it's kept its hold on you your whole life. You rub against your mortality and you fear that you will die. God delivered us who all our lives lived in bondage of the fear of death. He did so through the resurrection of his son, Jesus.
So come running. Come running. You say, well, I just, I'm going to do something else. Where are you going? Where are you going to go? To whom will you go? Peter said, you alone have the words of eternal life. And we are persuaded that you are the Son of God. It's Easter. Own Him. It's the third day. Trust Him. It's the third day. Come running. It's the third day. And Jesus, dead and buried, is risen from the dead. Bow with me, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus. What a wonder, God, that you loved us like this, that you want us in your home, at your table, that you are our Father calling us to yourself, making a way for us where we cannot make it on our own. What a marvelous grace you extend to us in the gift of your son. What love, God, I pray that we will own Jesus as ours, that we will confess him and acknowledge him, that we will trust him today. Lord, I pray that we will come running, even those of us who have come before, that in a new way we will cling to the Savior who is indeed our hope, in whose name we pray, amen.